All right, all right. Good morning, everyone. First off, elementary kiddos, you guys can go ahead and head on downstairs. Have fun. Right here. Don't leave me hanging. There we go. Awesome. Um, middle schoolers staying here in the sanctuary today. Awesome. I'm going to need your help here uh, in a little bit. Thank you, worship team. And thank you all. Um, Thank you all for hanging in there uh, this summer. Uh, we have been examining, we've been in this conversation, all right, about the body, the biblical picture of the body and what it means to be the body of Christ. And we've been building on this metaphor from Genesis and considering what are all the ingredients uh, that the, the Bible has to offer as it builds uh, for our understanding of the body of Christ. Now, we're going to land the plane on our discussion by landing on a very particular word. It's a very familiar word that we all use quite frequently, and it's possibly the most, the word that is most associated with Christianity. Today, the body of Christ is represented as the church. So, first off, I want to let you guys know a little something about me. I'm a bit of a word nerd, all right? So that means that one thing that really charms me is uh, really trying to discover and research the origins and histories of uh, popular and well-known words and phrases. And it just so happens that this time of year is one of my favorites because I'm a middle school art teacher. And one thing that occurs early in the year is I get to go back to school and the Middle schoolers there get to educate me on all the different new slang that TikTok and all things in media have come up with over the summer. And these past two years have been quite the learning experience. My vocabulary has grown quite a bit. All right, and I don't roll into it with the knowledge. So I, I go into the year and I hey, teach me. If we're going to you, if we're going to converse, I need you to teach me what these words mean so we understand each other. So they teach me. Well, sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. Usually the ones that they don't teach me are the ones that are inappropriate. Um, then I Google it, and I'm like, go to the office. <laughs> <laughs> Cracked the code pretty quickly with that Google search. Um, but my, like I said, my vocabulary has grown, right? With confidence... All right, I can work into, conver work into conversation seamlessly work, um, phrases like no cap, fed, or op, which was referring to me, apparently. <laughs> Bruh, which is short for bro, which is already short for brother, which doesn't actually, you don't, it's not even referring to a, a male. Like you can be like, you can call a, a, a girl a bruh, and we just kind of roll along with it. I tried, to, I, tried to, I tried to roll out cis as, a, as, a, as an appropriate, you know, <laughs> pivot toward, hey, if I'm talking to a, a, a girl, it's like, bruh, well, cis. Like, no, it doesn't work. But the crown jewel of, like, kind of, like, over my past couple years is uh, one of my favorites is uh, vibing or good vibes or things of the like. And I like that one because it does have an extremely 
rich history, the origin of good vibes or vibing, all right, is really intriguing to me, and I'm kind of aware of where that came from. So I'm just going to put this to the test, all right? I'm a word nerd. I want to see if we can kind of decipher or know where this came from. But I'm only going to be talking to the high schoolers or middle schoolers. So don't look to your parents because we're nodding because we know. We know. All right, so middle schooler or high schooler in here, who, with confidence, who can tell me, in regards to vibe or vibing, good vibes, what is vibe short for? Anybody? This is awesome. <laughs> so you're definitely not going to know the, the next question of who was the first person or people group to make that word or phrase popular. All right, so we're going to pivot toward the more seasoned folks in the room. All right, so we're nodding because we have a good tune in our head about where this came from. Good vibes, all right. <laughs> Vibe is short for vibration. We learn, we're learning so much in church today. Awesome. Vibrations, all right? And the folks who made that phrase popular for the first time were the Beach Boys, all right. But the deal is the origin of that phrase is in the context of like a romantic situation where you're kind of feeling out the situation. So when someone says like, hey, I'm vibing right now, I'm like, no, you're not. Please don't. Do a Google search and figure out what you're talking about. Now, I'm so glad that worked because I was not, I was like, if, if middle schoolers were like, oh yeah, Beach Boys, I'm picking up good vibrations. That's an old hat. I'm like, that wouldn't have worked. So I'm, gro- I'm so glad that we were able to land that well. But that just goes to show. All right. And that was, I don't know when that song came out, like six or so years ago. Maybe, I don't know. <laughs> I'm sorry. I listen, I Listen to that song first time when I was younger or whatever. But that just goes to show that the natural trend in language, all right, is that origins get lost. Cool. Happened with the Beach Boys song. Now we're vibing and everything. All right. Um, now, when you do the research, right, start to do a little word nerding, right, you get to experience some excitement, but also experience some the unfortunate aspects of, the, of discovering the rich history and the development of those phrases. With time and frequent usage, that the words often lose their original meaning and, they, and, they, um, and used to communicate something completely different than what it was originally intended for. The word often loses its original luster all right, and intrigue. Now, the same is true for one of the most well-known words in, Christian, in, our, in our Christian word bank. Each one of us woke up this morning, got ourselves ready, got the kids ready, because it's an important day, because we're going to church. We're going to Wellspring, because it's called a church. Now, I wanted to do some investigation of this word, because naturally, it's just like a, it's, it's a very curious word to me. All right, one off the get-go, it doesn't sound like the prettiest word, church. It's an urch word. It's like lurch. It's just like, it doesn't, it doesn't feel good. It doesn't taste good coming off the tongue, all right? It's, just, it's like, so where did this come from, and how did it get used as one of the most important words that we know and understand in Christianity? I was doing some digging, and at the root of this word, 
made some interesting discoveries. It's a pre-Christian word, all right? It's a pre-Christian word. The Greek word is ekklesia, all right? And it is used to, um, for both religious and non-religious purposes, mainly to give a name to a group of people that are called out from a general population for a distinct, um, for, for distinct notoriety or distinct purpose, all right? So, if we're going to use it uh, properly today, we would associate ecclesia or, uh, or a church as people like the Chamber of Commerce, a city council, a school board, chiefs fans, etc. All right? However, when Jesus comes to town and he starts using words like this, Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew repurposes repurposes this word uh, for what he is doing. So go ahead and open your Bibles to uh, page 1398. This is the book of Matthew, chapter 16. We're going to be looking at verses uh, 13 through 19. This is the first time that, in regards to the context of what Jesus is doing in the New Testament, the word church comes up. We're not going to be starting in an Acts and uh, the book of Acts. We're going to be starting with the words of Jesus. So as we look, we see Jesus getting really specific about what his idea of church is and what he's doing. So in verse 13, it says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do you say who do, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. These are the people of old, right? But what, do, what about you? He asked, what do, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you, and I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So that last part, we have the slide up there, just to examine that real fast. A um, couple things. A couple things that we find out here about Jesus' idea of what church is going to be like. Uh, notice where he starts out. He starts out with the general population. It, kind of, it matches up with our definition, ecclesia. Consider the whole population, and we're going to do something with it. All right? So, he starts with the general, po- general population. What do they say? Well, they're saying a lot of these things. I'm sure the Roman people were saying other things about him as well. But then he directs the question to specifically a smaller group. Who do you say I am? Peter is, it is revealed to Peter by the Holy Spirit that Jesus, the person standing or person sitting right in front of him is the long-awaited Messiah. He is the son of the living God. Jesus then says, 
he declares that this is actually the, what he is going to be building his church on. He is going to be building and assembling a people that is built upon the fact that Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah. He is the son of the living God. The general population, all right, we are now drawing people out of that general population who believe specifically this thing. This is what we're going to build this church off of. This is the only foundation. All right, and then he goes in to describe a little bit about what that, that building process is going to be like, what that people group is going to be like. And he says that it will be a people that will not be overcome by death, the gates of Hades. So they will not be overcome by death. That's a pretty, dis, uh, a pretty dis, a good distinction there from other people group to this people group. All right, and it would be a people group that would participate in establishing the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven on earth. He will be handing over, like he said, the keys of the kingdom. He will be handing over ruling power to the people he is creating, right? So, ecclesia, as in Jesus, is, when Jesus is using it, the usage is going to be an assembly, all right? The whole body of Christian believers the origin there is ek, or a common word like from from or of, like I'm from this place, or I came from, or I'm a part of this. A word, really short word, common word that means belonging. And uh, uh, kaleo, right? kaleo, kaleo, meaning to call. So properly, when you put that all together, we get this understanding that church, ecclesia, is a people called out from the world to God, all right? to uh, the outcome being the church, the mystical body of Christ, the universal total body of believers whom God calls out from the world and into his eternal kingdom. All right. Now, the cool thing about this is that this is not, new, this is not a new thing for Jesus. This is not a new thing for God. Him handing over ruling authority echoes very loudly what he was doing in Genesis when he gave ruling power to Adam and Eve, right? He directs something really important to Peter. He says, hey, what you bind on earth, what you say, we're going to respect, all right? What you permit and what you deny here on earth, Peter, we are going to respect that, and that will be the norm, right? Just like when he gave that ruling power to Adam and Eve. Hey, I'm going to bring all these animals, and what you call them, we're going to roll with that, all right? They have the ruling power to make the norms for us. And Peter is given this, given this call. Now, by Jesus' design, when we talk about his church, we evoke the whole gospel message from Genesis and the creation of the human body to Jesus, his death, and recreation of his body. But like we mentioned, the functional meaning of words, all right, is subject to change over the years, all right? So this grandness of what church means is the norm. However, I did get an alert on my phone prompting me to open up my Google Calendar, and this is what I saw. This is what the Robertsons are doing. So here we go. There's a lot of things that we're doing and as I look over here on regular Sundays, 
I have a really small box marked church. Functionally, in my mind, in a lot of our minds, is when I plug that into my Google Calendar, I am not evoking, I'm not, e- I'm not living necessarily in the gospel message. What I'm referring to when I talk about church is oftentimes an event. All right? And church gets kind of lumped into this kind of group of events in our lives that are predictable and important, where it kind of gets summed up in this kind of sentence, I go to blank. And then whatever you put in that word is kind of weird, because it can be verbs when they're not supposed to be verbs. It can be nouns when they're all, it's all over the mark. So in regards to I go to, you fill in the blank, we can say things like I go to work, I go to school, I go to practice, I go to church. Now, I was thinking of kind of a, maybe a, a funny alternative, like a, uh, what's another word that we can give this same treatment to and would it appear really, really odd? And it turns out, I came up with a uh, decent one, but let's just say I call, my, I call my wife and I'm like, hey babe, this is the old miming of a, <laughs> of a phone, receiver, earpiece, whatever, mouthpiece and receiver, Okay iPhone. This is an old phone. So let's just say, <laughs> let's just say I call my wife and I say, hey, babe, I'm, uh, it turns out I'm going to be about 30 minutes late uh, coming home from work. I know we had scheduled marriage. Um, and uh, this script here is pretty, it's pretty neat. I know we had planned on going to marriage before dinner. Um, will that still work? Well, then she might say, well, Alice has to go to dance, so we might not be able to go to marriage tonight. Maybe tomorrow we can go to, uh, go to marriage after, after, uh, after Arthur gets home from school. And then I'll say, oh, that's, that's, that sounds good, but, you know, we can always go to marriage um, every Sunday after, after we go to church. All right, bye. Who's crying? Okay, bye. <laughs> so, so... It's kind of an erroneous, odd treatment of something that I know shouldn't be talked about like that. I don't talk about my marriage like it's an event. I talk about my marriage in regards to it is a truth. It's who I am. It's who I belong to. That word is much more important than the times, the events that I spend uh, with my wife. Now we know, and I know you know, that we know that church is bigger than just regular events. And it is extremely important for us to gather in this context so that we can thrive as that people group. Just like my marriage might benefit if Britt and I spend time together, right? I'm going to be reminded more of the truth of that, hey, we are married if I'm actually around her quite a bit. So, events are important, all right? But we can never be reminded enough of what Jesus meant when he used the word church because we will naturally downshift into thinking and talking about Wellspring Church in kind of an undesirable way, right? I find myself making this blunder uh, quite often. Uh, Most recently, I found myself in a coffee shop wearing a Wellspring t-shirt. So naturally, I was being a missionary to the community. (laughs) And the barista inquires about Wellspring 
church. And then naturally, I just kind of launch into this pitch, all right, talking about all the different things that we do here in this building. I'm trying to kind of sell her on Wellspring Event Center rather than Wellspring Church. I came away from that conversation noticing that there was something extremely void from what I was offering to her. I made no mention of Jesus at all. (laughs) There was quite a big disconnect between my view of church and Jesus' view of church. Thankfully, we have Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles, so that's you and me, all right, who oversaw the emergence of several churches in the first century, right? And to these churches, Paul enlists this beautiful and timeless illustration of what it looks like to be a people called out, of the, uh, called out and assembled to participate in his kingdom. And thankfully, that picture is the same picture that we have for our present time right now. It is the picture of the body. We have to use our sanctified imagination to kind of grasp what this is going to look like. Uh, but in the realest way possible, we must envision that we are collectively Christ's body. It seems like it's going to involve a lot of moving parts, which is going to involve us having to get along with each other and live life together, and that is true. Luckily, we do have the power of the Holy Spirit for me to get along with some of you. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Sorry. That, was, that one didn't land as much as I thought it was going to. <laughs> Good. So we have protocol in regards to what it looks like to be this people group. All right. Two, uh, two of uh, Paul's letters are create the most vivid picture of how this whole body thing is supposed to work. One to the church in Ephesus and the other to the church in Corinth. Both are amazing, all right? And they are encouraging as well as challenging. This morning, I thought it would be refreshing to allow Paul's words, right, to wash over us as we conclude our discussion of the body. Adding a lot to Paul's, uh, Paul's teaching uh, would be rather redundant. So we're going to let Paul just kind of teach us uh, with these two displays of the body. Now, let us imagine us getting this letter as Wellspring Church here in, this, uh, in, here in our time to the church, at, uh, to Wellspring Church or the church on 22nd, or 21st and Jewels. As I read these letters, right, as I read the parts of these letters, I would ask you, to be open to what the Spirit is revealing to you. And I would love to hear your thoughts here. So go ahead and turn uh, to uh, 1 Corinthians, uh, page 1636 for us. And we're going to go right through that, just if this were old times. And hey, we got this letter from Paul. I'm going to open it up. I'm going to publicly read it, and we're going to discuss it just uh, uh, quite briefly here. So 1636, 1 Corinthians 12, we're going to start in verse 12. Keep that open because I want to be, you to be able to kind of come back to something that you thought was intriguing for this uh, time and space right here, right now. What is the Holy Spirit revealing to you? Let's go ahead and read. Paul explains, Just as one body, though one has many parts, 
but all, but all its many parts form one body. So it is with Christ, for we are all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Not if, uh, now, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would, uh, it would not for that reason stop being a, a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I do not need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that, that seem to be weaker uh, are indispensable. And the parts that we, uh, that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unrep- uh, unpre- uh, unpresentable are treated with special modesty. While our, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lack it. So there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now, you are the body of Christ. Each and each one of you is a part of it. Keep your Bibles open. As we were reading that that passage, that larger chunk, does anything stand out? Anything in regards to the Holy Spirit prompting you in this present time and space at Wellspring Church in your life? What is something that stood out to you? Yes. Is that, is that an important message to hear? Yes. We're all part of it. We all have a purpose. The contrary to that would be there's no one left out. No bystanders. We're all involved. All right. Thank you. Justin. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That. that was beautiful. We cannot do it alone. It just everything gets taken out of context. It doesn't even make sense if we're thinking that we are the one man show of Christianity. It just doesn't work. We need it. We need each other. What more do we have from this section of Paul's letter? Mm-hmm. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. We we're quite surprised when we see what <laughs> who is a part of the body and we don't have the right to say, Hey, you don't belong because you don't match up with my understanding, my view of it. Thank you, Bob. Thank you. I'll go ahead and just uh, conclude this part of it. Just kinda of, that is having us focus on the unity in the diverse parts of the body. One of the things that stood out to me is that we are meant designed to rejoice together. All right? Not one person is honored. We're not one person experiences the joy. This is a collective joy. This is what we're supposed to experience together. And the vision that I give for that is if, like, imagine chocolate cake. All right? There's a context of eating chocolate cake. When I'm eating chocolate cake, I'm usually with people for a certain reason. Now, if I'm in my kitchen alone eating chocolate cake, I got a problem. (laughs) The context of that joy is a communal joy. We rejoice together, all right? It's not something for one person to enjoy the salvation and work in Jesus Christ. It is a collective grouping of joy. All right, now the next one to, uh, next one to uh, the church in Ephesus. Go ahead and turn to page. I had it there one second. Uh, we're going to be in Ephesus 4, starting in verse 1. That is page 1667. I'm going to go ahead and read through that, and we'll work toward how we're going to land this plane and talk about how we're going to come away with it. So, F, uh, Ephesians 4. 1 through 16. All right, it says, As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been, has been given as Christ appointed it. That is why it is said, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does it mean he ascended? Uh, what does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower uh, earthly regions? Uh, He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of God. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind 
of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every aspect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Keep your Bible open. Anything stand out to you there? It's kind of a pivot from kind of the focus of what he was talking to the Corinthians about. Now to the church in Ephesus, he has a more, a new specific directive for them. What is something that stood out there? Mm. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, like we, like we talked about, the fruit of the Spirit should be something that is important within the body, right? For the health of the body, we're going to need patience, humility. Thank you. Yes, Rob. Mm. Thank you, Rob. That was beautiful. It is humbling. It's hard to understand that, hey, Rob, not everyone is showing up to your Christianity, <laughs> right? Like this is a collective experience, and we're not just along for the show, and you have to play the big, only, sole role, right? You are a part of what is happening here. And that is much more encouraging, much more uplifting, much more a, a much more joyful experience rather than the burden of thinking, you're the show. <laughs> I liked the idea of the body is maturing. That's humbling because we can view ourselves, even though we're 2,000 and so years into being the church, we can still view ourselves as infants needing to grow. Grow by the instruction of the Holy Spirit, all right, to understand the fullness and the fullness to the measure, uh, understand the uh, measure, the fullness of God. That's what we're attaining to. And we know that on earth, just before his kingdom is actually fully ushered in, we're still growing. We're not going to obtain that full maturation yet. So we have always this longing, always this humble opportunity to be longing to grow and to mature into what it means uh, to be the body of Christ. I love that. Just that, that hunger should always be in us as we crave 
Like, like the Bible says, we crave spiritual milk. We're going to be eating solid foods soon. We're going to be able to walk. We're going to be able to talk. We're going to be able to do these things. But hey, let's be humble. Let's not pretend like we know how to do this. Let's grow together and listen to instruction. Now, as we conclude our discussion on the body and how that paints a clear picture of what church is like, all right, I want to end with just a short time of reflection. And my parting words for you today is this. God has reestablished co-rule, the co-rule of God and man. It was envisioned in the creation of the body of Adam. It was done perfectly by the God-man, Jesus. Now Jesus turns to his church and says, his body and says, now it's your turn. And along with co-ruling comes co-laboring. In Genesis, we got a great picture of what that looked like. It was turning wilderness into a garden. In Jesus, it looked like turning death into life. And for us in our present reality, it looks exactly the same. So the garden has been redeemed, his gardeners recommissioned. When Adam and Eve stood and surveyed the landscape, they saw wilderness that was waiting to become part of God's delightful garden. And when we leave here this morning, we will be greeted with the same landscape. This time it's across the street. It's in the midst of our neighborhoods. It's a wilderness waiting to become a garden. But Jesus gets really honest with the perpetual state of humanity and their less than stellar consistency to enter into this. We're going to conclude with this last verse in Matthew. I'm going to have it up on the screen. These are the words of Jesus, and we get a sense of his emotional state as he's considered all of these things. All right, in Matthew 9, verse 35 and th- uh, through 38, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest fields. We are the church. Is there a sense of awe and wonder about that reality, about what Jesus did to create this? Is there a sense of urgency for the work that his body is supposed to do in our present time here and now in St. Joseph, Missouri. So, we're going to conclude this summer series with just a short time of reflection as the band comes up and gets us uh, ready for um, a song. I want to leave you with these two questions as we're, as we're sitting and thinking and considering all of what we experienced. One question, how might God be calling you to participate in the body of Christ? up there. And the second, how might God be calling you to, sorry, uh, what work might he be calling his body to engage in? So as we have a short time of just kind of pondering this, um, you will have an opportunity before you leave here. I, I ask you, hey, the reason we kind of get the artwork of what we've experienced here at church kind of in physical form is for us to have a marker 
of something that we took away, of remembering the experience of collectively engaging in this together. So as you're reflecting on something, how, are you, how is God calling you to participate in the body? What ought his body be doing right now? You'll have an opportunity. It's in the back. There are pins uh, and on the poster. I would love just to hear your thoughts and just to understand what is the Spirit stirring up in his body. All right, so I, I ask you, um, if you have a chance, uh, please do that. And I'm going to go ahead and pray for us, and we can have that time just to uh, consider what the Holy Spirit is revealing to us for a short time. Uh, Father in heaven, thank you so much for the summer and opportunity to unpack your picture of the body. We pray that we would be humbled by it and we would be obedient uh, to that calling. We would be humbled and obedient to that reality. Thank you for calling us to a people, calling us to be a people who are in you, that death cannot overcome us, um, and that we are participating in your kingdom. Lord, we thank you um, for being the head of the body. We pray that your body would move in obedience to what you're directing it to do. Uh, Lord, we love you. We thank you so much for this time. Um, Love you. Amen.